Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Hey, everybody. Uh, We have a very enjoyable one today. You know, for once... Bob Odenkirk is my guest. Bob, of course, the star of the drama Better Call Saul, which is about to start its sixth and uh, final season now on AMC. Also, you can get all the previous seasons on Netflix starting, I think, now. And Bob has been playing Saul Goodman now for 13 years, first on, on Breaking Bad this year. Uh, Bob tells us Better Call Saul is going to be thoroughly intertwined with Breaking Bad. So this this season is going to be a, a doozy. Bob has written a memoir, which is terrific. The title, Comedy, 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 Drama. And that title captures the arc of Bob's career. I've known Bob for, I think, 34, 35 years uh, when he started working on SNL. I'm thinking that's uh, 1987. And Bob, like like I, started writing comedy in, in grade school. That's not that unusual. Now, I remember when I was at SNL, and actually to this day, I have a, a acquaintances, friends, donors uh, who come to me and say, uh, my nephew or niece, wants to be a comedy writer. I was wondering if you could meet with, with him or her and, uh, and, and talk with her about that. And I'd say, sure. And too often uh, when I, I ask them, are you writing comedy? They will say no. I, uh, years ago, I had one kid, when I asked him this, said, oh, I don't have time. I'm on the uh, Columbia uh, varsity basketball team. And I said, let's say I was Magic Johnson and you came to me and said you wanted uh, to be a pro basketball player. And I asked you, are you playing basketball? And uh, you said, no, I'm just too busy doing stand-up comedy. So anyway, Bob grew up near Chicago, loved writing, loved comedy. But like a lot of us, he didn't know anybody who actually was in show business, but he's uh, he's ended up having one of the most fascinating, continues to have one of the most fascinating careers. And it all comes down to loving this work and from his willingness to go wherever it takes him. And you're really, really going to love this podcast, you know. 
for a change. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that means that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores, including Doc Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cash back events, and it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. So I love the book. Love the book. You talk about so much stuff <laughs> that uh, I relate to. One of the things I wanted to ask you about is that you started writing comedy really early. Yeah. And it was your ambition to be a comedy writer. Well, it wasn't. You didn't actually then think there was such a path for you, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know how you experienced your journey to finding that career. But, you know, it's that Midwestern thing of like, you know, human beings <laughs> don't do show business. I, I've never met right. anyone. We didn't know anybody. I mean, you don't even <laughs> think about it. It's even saying that that line of thought is not even close enough to your brain. You, it's just an impossible consideration. So I had my, I would borrow my mom's typewriter when I was about nine or 10 and write sketches, write fake parody commercials. And you're writing, this is fifth grade or when? Yeah, that How, would be, well, be like sixth grade. <laughs> yeah. I think I shared in the book that some teachers would have me do I did a series of sketches about different historic things, and and and, <laughs> and and I got big laughs, Al. I mean, they were really funny. You know, I wrote something uh, very early about it was a Civil War sketch. Yeah. It was when I was really young. Uh, what happened was the boys were on the playground. We come back. The girls... Uh, we got a surprise for you. We're going down the AV room. The girls do a show. It's really corny. I get the boys together and we do a parody of their show and make them cry. <laughs> and then Mrs. Morrison goes like, uh, why don't we do a show together for the parents? And Alan can write it. I was Alan. And I did a Civil War sketch. Wow. And it was set in a, uh, a Civil War uh, first aid tent, like a Red Cross tent. And the girls were the, uh, you know, the nurses. And the, the, the one joke I remember that I wrote was... 
that they hear about uh, Lincoln getting assassinated over the radio. And it was an anachronism yeah. joke. And it didn't get a laugh. And I remember thinking, huh, I think I set this up wrong. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah. That is so cool. <laughs> is yeah. there anything that you can connect that to? Like, did you watch TV and think about writing or? God, yes. I watch. I love comedy. Yeah. You loved comedy, yeah, right? Absolutely. That's why you did absolutely. It. I mean, you got to know how important you were to that. You and Tom. Well, you don't mention me that much in the book. I do mention you, and I think I can't wait to hear what you, I was a little concerned what you'd say. It sounds like the first time we we meet, you pitch something, and I, I'm an asshole. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm going, why? Why? <laughs> what do you mean, why? It's a comedy show. It's a comedy bit. I, I But, well, in the end, you saved my ass, too, because... Uh, how did I save your ass? Well, because what was that? it was about the third week I was there, and I was already mm -hmm. struggling really hard, and I was, you know, socially awkward as I just am, and and but I was for a long time, and I and I and you let me help you with that sketch. I hope I remember it correctly. It's the one where Phil's walking through the subway as the homeless guy. Then he's the theater guy, and oh yeah, yeah, he's he's begging on the subway. Uh, as he's a homeless guy begging on the subway and then uh, just he comes back again and now he's a member of a theater troupe that's fundraising for their theater troupe. He's not a homeless guy who's playing one in the last pass through the subway. And then he comes back <laughs> several times, always asking for money. It's a great sketch. Let me just say what happened was you and Tom had written it, but it was mostly you. It was people passing through the subway. I'm a homeless guy. We're doing, a, then we're doing a play. And it was like I said, it should just be the same guy or something like that. And then it's one uh -huh, guy and he keeps right, changing his story. And, and then <laughs> you put my name on the sketch. And then Jim Downey said to you when he saw the sketch, and it was a good sketch. It played well in the show. He said, Al, did Odenkirk really help? Or are you just giving him a handout here? And you said, no, no, he helped. He made that sketch work. And that was huge for me. Huge. We wrote some stuff together. And I also remember, like, Love Toilet. Oh, yeah. Remember Love I, Toilet? Love Toilet, yeah. <laughs> it's a great sketch. And, you, and I was talking to people about comedy sketches, and I learned so much from Robert Smigel. Oh, my God. And you knew Robert in, in, uh, in, Chicago, in Chicago. But I learned a lot from you because you just knew – how to write a sketch, really a strong sketch that would work on the show. And you could write sort of across the different genres too. So I learned a lot from, from just being around you. Well, thanks. Now you wrote probably one of the most classic sketches, which was uh, Farley as Matt Foley. Yeah. motivational speaker <laughs> which i wrote in my third year uh at snl so it was uh i i had three years of uh a lot a lot i'd learned under my belt by then you write about in the book about your first interview with lorne yeah I that was crazy what you did i know it's so stupid <laughs> tell the tell the folks well, would you bomb tell the folks <laughs> i had such issues with authority you know, and poor Lorne, <laughs> poor Lorne caught the brunt of it, but I, I really did. And I'm a waiter. I'm not even a waiter. Al, I'm not even a waiter yet. 
I'm still taking, they don't even trust me to take orders. I just bring food to the table. Uh, basically, uh, Lauren, well, uh, Robert tells me you write sketches. What, what do you like? And then I go, well, I like Python, you know, um, kind of like SCTV. Um, not so into this show. Don't think Saturday Night Live is very good. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Well, um, uh, what do you, what do you, uh, do you want to write sketches on this show? You know, Lauren, I don't, I don't think it's going in the right direction. Um, I don't, I don't know if I want to, um, I don't think I would actually, I, I, I really truly walked in thinking he doesn't want me to kiss his ass. This guy must get his ass kissed every day, all day long. He wants to hear a cold, hard, realist, Tell him, you know, the truth. You might have overdone it. <laughs> I did. I promise you I did. I can't believe I got hired. Even when I walked out of the room, I was like, <laughs> you handled that wrong. <laughs> that was so wrong. And then later, you know, Mike Myers had a meeting at Bonnie and Terry Turner met at the same time. And I think Mike did. One of them I talked to later and said, you know, I, I kind of treated Lauren. I was very critical of the show. What did you do? And then they said, I think it was Mike. He goes, oh, I told him it was all I wanted to do my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> that's the right. That's the right. Uh, that's answer the right to way the question. to you say it. You know, I do think Lauren appreciated a little bit that I was a comedy snob and that, you know, he loved Python, too, a lot. Oh, I got a, a, a story to tell you about Python. So the first year of the show, I think even before the show started, you know, we we all went to the Pythons were on Broadway. Uh -huh. And so we're invited to the party afterwards. And I go up to Cleese and I said, you're my favorite. And he goes, oh, really? Tell him. And he points to Eric. <laughs> oh god that's great <laughs> <laughs> he did it hilarious yes too. it's wonderful okay let's talk about god there's so much to talk about in this book this book is so rich uh, here are some of the things i want to talk about okay yeah del close yeah i want to talk about bob and ray yeah i want to talk about the credibility gap yeah. i want to talk about mike mckean yeah i want to talk about Nobody, of course. Okay. I want to talk about Saul, of course, yeah. Breaking Bad, yeah. of course, of course, of How course. How about my heart attack? <laughs> How about your heart attack? <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's let uh, the book. Is, yeah. You know, I di I didn't. You know, you didn't do the heart attack. No, in the book. I didn't because I wanted it to be a version of that conversation I had with Dell, uh, where Dell rambled about his career. And let's was, tell who Dell is. Yeah, tell so him who Dell Close. Is was a, a mercurial uh, figure from the theater of the 1960s and 70s. He was part of the Compass Players uh, when they were in um, St. Louis with Mike Nichols and Elaine May and Severn Darden. And he was part mm -hmm. of the committee in San Francisco. And he was a, an actor, teacher, and director uh, of improvisation at Second City for most of his career. And I bumped into him on the street. I didn't know what he looked like. I barely knew his name. And by happenstance, when I was strongly considering going into show business, hoping, wishing I could find a way in or understand a way in, I bumped into him in a bookstore in Chicago. And I said, are you Del Close? I had remembered his name from um, 
the program at Second City and also from the Saturday Night Live credits where he'd spent a year or two as the acting coach when they were trying to develop a certain degree of camaraderie amongst this cast that they couldn't get to gel. It was Eddie Murphy, um, Joe Piscopo. Um, oh, okay. That was during the uh, Ebersol. Yeah. And they, they brought yeah. Dell in to do theater games and shit with people. Some people were into it. Some didn't participate. Dell, by the way, loved Eddie Murphy and thought Joe Piscopo was kind of funny, but didn't love him. And but he loved all the other guys who were, you know, actors, sketch type actors, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and whoever else mm-hmm. was on in those years. And so Dell had just quit that job at SNL. I had seen his name on the credits. I run into him in the street. I say, are you Dell Close? And I have my little recorder with me. I go, I'm here for my college radio station. Can I interview you? And he said, yeah, I'd love to talk. I just quit cocaine. I just quit heroin. I just quit Second City. And I would love to talk about what's next for me. And so we went to his little shithole Hobbit apartment and he rambled for two and a half hours, um, most of which I still have on cassette. Yeah. You, you, you know, you quote from it freely, yeah. you know, long passages, but everyone should know this guy's a God yeah. in improv. But at the time he wasn't. And by the way, Al, at the time he was 49 years old. And I, I would have guessed at the time, I would have thought he was 60, at least 65, maybe. And that's, of course, being well, heroin young. and cocaine. And yeah. I was 21, do that but also he did all these drugs. So he talked and, and I walked out of his apartment two hours later and thought, I'm going to do this, man. I'm going to try. This could be the greatest career ever to be in because uh, I don't know what it was. It was about his energy. You know what else, Al? I was excited about, I'd never met someone his age who was talking excitedly about what they were going to do next week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, your dad certainly didn't. No, but you know what I mean. Guys back then, once they were 40, 50 years old, it was golf and, I don't know, dragging your ass around, getting the shit done and hoping to retire as soon as you could. And uh, so it was just amazing to meet somebody who was like, I'm doing a theater show next week, and I don't know what it's going to be, but we're going to have monologues. We're going to use the newspaper. (laughs) Like, what are you, you know, you seem like you're my age. And uh, I loved uh, that energy, and I felt like I don't have to be a success, a massive success, to be happy pursuing this career. I could do the kinds of offbeat things that he had done, and that would be sounded pretty wonderful to me. And uh, also, I knew I wasn't going to do drugs like that uh, because uh, I just don't like them that much. <laughs> Speaking of Farley, yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, you work with him in Chicago, yeah, and just the funniest, yeah most uh magnetic just could make the audience laugh at will yeah you know you you talk about him going up and down yeah with drugs and stuff and i went through that with him and he tried he really tried a lot um but he was in halfway houses (laughs) he went to rehabs he had periods where he did it and it's just so unbelievably such a waste yeah. Of course, of that. I know that you don't, you, you uh, are not happy with the Chippendale sketch. 
which Downey wrote. Yeah, no, I I really don't like it. And I think it was a bad thing that it happened. I don't think I'm alone. I think Chris, Chris Rock feels the same way. Because Al, no matter what you say about the construction of the sketch or what the core joke of it was, the truth is that audience responded in a huge way, both because of the humor, but it was amplified by Chris's physique, which was um, shocking. And Chris knew it. And, you know, I feel like I can see it in his eyes. And some part of him, and you know he walked around saying fatty fall down, retarded, calling himself retarded. He did that all the time, every day. And to me, that moment was him saying, they laugh at me because I'm a fuck up, mess, fat, disaster. And he wanted that laughter so bad. And especially at that moment, that was his first big sketch on the show. And that is why the response was as big as it was. It was supercharged by that shock and awe, uh, which he'd gotten before. He did it at Second City, too, in various forms. You know, he would take his shirt off. But he it just reinforced in him, that's why they're laughing at me. That's my mm. value to the world is this big, obnoxious, you know, a kind of appalling uh, physique and and it just broke my heart and I and 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 mm-hmm. I just think it just played to Chris's worst instincts about himself and I know there was a great joke in that sketch there's a great joke of course it's funny that the judges can't decide who's a better dancer or why they like Patrick Swayze more this, this is the part of the job I hate was Mike Myers line because yeah. they had to choose between him yeah. great and line. Swayze. Great, even a great, bottom line, a great sketch. But it just, it maybe Jim doesn't recognize it, but he's a pretty goddamn smart guy. Maybe he didn't know Chris well enough yet. But for people who knew him, I feel like it was not good. But they also, he was a, so coordinated. Yeah. I mean, so. Oh, he's a great dancer. Grace, graceful. And yes. it was that was part of it too, and also <laughs> uh, his attitude in it. Uh, yeah, but Al, look, you know, I just think it's a disagreement. I mean, I love those guys, and uh, maybe this is me. Maybe I'm projecting my feelings, but I I feel like you know, Chris walked around saying that stuff about himself, and I I just yeah. that's my feeling. Is it maybe reinforce that in a bad way? Well, let's talk about you. Okay. Okay. I mean, that's the book is kind of about troublesome, you. cantankerous, <laughs> hard to read. Yeah. One thing in the book that really made me laugh is when you describe your dad, <laughs> dad's job. What your dad's job was? He made business forms. <laughs> 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 and I think you say in the book something like, uh, "Say that again to yourself," and then. Uh, you'll be in my thrall or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now you are was, asleep and you will do, <laughs> do my bidding. He made yeah. business forms. There's nothing. <laughs> and he was, he was not a happy guy. It sounds like. And no, uh, I think he was, uh, I, you know, 
I wish I could tell you more about him, but I, I didn't. I tried to get to know him. I really did. When he when I was 22, I got a phone call that he was dying of cancer and we should come see him. And so my brother and I drove down to Indianapolis where he was staying with his parents. And um, I thought this is a great opportunity. I, I very clearly consciously said to myself, this is my chance. I'm going to say hi to him. I'm going to talk to him. And I'm going to connect with them. And, uh, you know, I knew he was a funny guy. He made wisecracks. He loved barroom jokes. And he didn't love the kind of humor I love. But he did like to laugh, uh, like like jokes and stuff. But, man, I'll tell you, I went, forget it. It's not happening. This guy was laying in bed talking about somebody else's car that was better than his and somebody who got a job that they didn't deserve and why didn't he get it resentment it sounds like i don't understand who goes through life doing that math you know it it's just was crazy i was just sitting there going who gives a shit by the way you're dying of cancer okay happy okay now we're happy let's go happy yeah but (laughs) your, your podcast doesn't need to be happy it can be no, we're, we call ourselves the happy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk, uh, let's talk about some of the influences that uh-huh. you have, but I want the credibility gap and Mike McKean, yeah. who plays your brother in better, uh, better call Saul, who's brilliant in it. Yeah. Brilliant in yeah. it. And by the way, I love the show. I love it. You're so I love great. It. Franny, Thank Franny you. and I, uh, uh, binge watched it again during the, uh, during the pandemic. Wow. And and Ray is wonderful. I, everybody is wonderful, but Mike, wow, wow. And he, and and he came from the credibility gap, which was, and he was Lenny and Squiggy. He, I can't remember yeah. if he was Lenny or Squiggy yeah. with Dave Lander. And the credibility gap had Harry Shear in it too. Yes, you know they yeah. did a Who's on First. You write about somebody doing a Who's on First. Yes. Yeah, Stephen Leo's Who's on First, but they did a great Who's on First. The Credibility Gap did, it was a lineup for a three-day, like, Woodstock festival. <laughs> yeah, and it was the who, but guess, guess who? who, and yes. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to find out! <laughs> <laughs> and it was fu- it was just perfect. And you were a big Bob and Ray fan. Yeah, and we should talk about Bob and Ray. I try to get my listeners to really pay attention to Bob and Ray. I wish their stuff was more accessible. I don't know why it's not on Spotify or something. It's on YouTube. Oh, you go okay. to stuff on YouTube. Okay, you it's know, not those, the radio stuff, but uh, some of it is. Some of it is radio. Brilliant stuff, and you love them too. Huh? How did you hear them, Al? You know what? You you I heard them the same way you heard them, which is a friend of mine had a tape of them. Yeah, yeah, that's how I did. And so you and I had the exact same experience, which yeah. is. We didn't grow up. We didn't grow up in New York where they were on radio. Yeah. We had the exact same. Matt Newman uh, played them for me and oh, Tom. Wow. You were, hey, do you remember the Bob and Ray bit where the guy is swimming across the country? And <laughs> he's got a, a semi truck filled with water. And for every length of the truck that the truck drives, he swims one lap. Of the truck <laughs> as it drives across the country. <laughs> it, they just did some. Just brilliant, silly, silly, and dry, just dry as hell stuff. It's just yep. the best. Now, Smigel, let's talk Smigel. Yeah, Robert Smigel is one of the great comedy writers of the era. And you know what's great is that both you and he, he always wanted to be a sketch writer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
you know, and I, uh, Tom and I were doing a movie in Chicago. Yeah. And we went to see his show. And uh, what was the name of that group? Uh, the All show? You Can Eat. All You Can Eat was the show. Robert Smigel and a group of funny sketch performers um, got together and did a show that was mostly scripted by Robert Smigel. He wrote most of the sketches, even if some other people maybe had the idea. Robert put them into words and into script and, and constructed them. And it was such a hit that it played for a year and a half at the theater building and did really well. And one of the actors in that show was Dave Reynolds. And you and Tom were right, had written a movie and were directing it called uh, Just Another we Saturday Night. We weren't directing Night. it. We weren't directing oh, it. Okay. but uh, Just Another Saturday Night. And you cast Dave in one of the leads. It was kind of an ensemble piece, right? Right. And because Dave had to go shoot your movie, I got, being a friend of Robert's, I got to fill in for Dave in the sketch show for probably five weeks, which was a lot of good money for me. Thank you, Al. It also was the key to your career. It was because I got to know Robert even better. <laughs> and then you guys came because you gotten to know Dave Reynolds and you wanted to, and he had told you about this great sketch show he was in and you guys came and watched all you can eat. I wasn't in it. Dave was in it that night. And then you said, who wrote this shit? It's exactly great. Right. And you found, you met Robert. And then the next year you and Tom were executive producers of Saturday night live We're producers, producers. producers. Was always okay. Thank you. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and you hired Robert as a writer. And because Robert got hired as a writer, over the next two and a half years, I was able to contribute over the phone and, you know, continue getting to know Robert. And he was seeing my work as I was writing. You know, you know what's one impressive about that group and, well, about Robert, really. So Tom and I watched the show and we we just, of course, we go like, who wrote this? You know, who wrote yeah. the stuff? Yeah. And they won't say. And Robert won't say. I know. And I think we went to see it again, and I just figured out it was Robert. How, how, see, I I remember because I talked to Robert about this, and he said, "Oh, I didn't write everything. I I didn't. I this idea was you know Hughes, and this idea, and it's well, like not so, everything in it was great. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, but it was it was it was really good. But damn good. I mean, for a, a bunch of kids putting on a show." To make a show that runs like that one did, and I can even remember some of the sketches. The con they were just pretty well done, and Robert clearly uh, oversaw the writing. But listen, I owe you for my whole career, as you can see. No, that's not true. It's uh, true. <laughs> well, I did uh, tell Vince Gilligan about you. <laughs> you did tell <laughs> Vince Gilligan about this idea about a chemistry teacher who has to make meth. <laughs> Well, Smigel, people should know, I think they know him as Triumph, the insult comic right. dog. I mean, he's the behind that, but he's behind so much. The Bears, he's behind yeah. all this. He's a brilliant writer, one of the stalwarts at the show, and a perfectionist and hilarious. So it, it, good to have, it's good that you knew Robert there. So I, yeah. I, I, I credit Robert more than, than, than us. We just saw it. We got, we figured out Robert. <laughs> That's what we did on Mr. Show. Yeah. With David Cross. Yeah. You guys were doing stuff that was very different in sensibility, which is why it was a cult. I mean, is yeah. a cult hit. 
Yeah, I mean, we did some pretty crazy stuff. We, you know, Al, we did some sketches that are pretty traditional sketches, like uh, Hunger Strike or Lie Detector, or the audition is one that people love to do in their. Well, the audition is a classic, and it's tradition. It's it's a it has a very that feels like a very David Cross kind of conceptual. It was thing. written by D- Dino Stamatopoulos, who you might know. Oh, okay, great writer. You know, when I think of that show, we certainly had fun and we indulged our every whim. But um, my favorite thing about the show were the just the solid, good sketches we did that that are kind of classic construction sketches, not not the stuff where we wandered around being indulgent, because that stuff is kind of easy to do. Um, but um, I, I'm really proud of the probably about 10 or 12 sketches that are just great ones. And uh, one of them is uh, the story of Everest. Have you ever seen that one? No. Oh, you'd love it. Go on YouTube and watch the story of Everest. Okay. I just want to interrupt the uh, conversation here. I did that. I went on YouTube. I I, I got the uh, story of Everest. It's hilarious. It's, and it's, it is a classic. It is so funny. Do yourself a favor after you're done with this, podcast don't don't stop listening to this podcast for god's sakes but then go to youtube and uh, get the story of everest you'll be glad you did okay we're gonna uh, take a, a quick break now and we'll be right back with bob odenkirk that's not just the sound of that first sip of morning joe it's the sound of someone shopping for a car on carvana from the comfort of home that's a good blend it's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Well, you did the Shambling Show. Yeah. Larry Sanders, yeah. you played his, were you a network exec or an agent? I was I an agent. I was Ari Emanuel, essentially. Um, yeah. I was just doing my impersonation of Ari. And it, it's so funny that when you were called about Breaking Bad, um, you hadn't seen it, right? No, I hadn't. I didn't, I didn't watch it until I was on the plane. I had a, a, a <laughs> DVD of it, and I watched about maybe 15 minutes of it. I kind of knew it was. A, I knew it was a drama. Um, but I, <laughs> <laughs> that's all I knew. Well, I mean, it wasn't a hit. That's Al. all you need to know. The show wasn't a hit. It, it it wasn't, and it that was was it the first that was first season or second first. It was the second season. Second. The first season was abbreviated because of the writer strike. Oh, that's right. And as a result, not many people had seen it. And the one friend that I called about it raved about it said it's the best show on tv you have to do that show but nobody else i think i knew had ever even seen it 
<laughs> I love that. Okay, so you you're going to shoot for the first time, and Saul has lots of lines. Yeah, and you're used to comedy. I guess I I think in comedy sketches you have to learn your lines, but you're used to sort of like okay, it changes lines. Yeah, change. I'm used to I'm used to a lot of freedom with like punch up the lines, say what you want that's funny, and. uh shift it around all you want, you know? And I'm also used to things getting cut down, Al. You know, comedy, there there are some funny comic monologues, but most of the time it's kind of a faster-paced dialogue. It pops back and forth between characters, and you don't sit on one person for six lines or more. <laughs> and this thing that I got from, from Breaking Bad was Saul Goodman talking and talking and talking. <laughs> And you sort of didn't bother to learn your lines at first. No, I, I didn't learn my lines for the first week. I didn't bother. I, I was certain. <laughs> oh, okay. I was certain that they were going to ch- change that to just cut those monologues down to two lines. So, <laughs> so I didn't learn it. I get there on Friday. I have the weekend. The shoot is on like Tuesday. I get the blue pages, which is like, I don't know, the second rewrite or the third. And it's really where you should start. You should know your lines then. And nothing has changed. One word has been (laughs) altered. And I'm like, oh, shit. I have, well, I have two days, but I've never done anything like the the rambling monologues that Saul did. And uh, so I just dug in, man. I, I didn't, I was, you know, I was scared, but I, I was, uh, I had the time to do it. I just dug in and, uh, and I did that. I did an impersonation of Robert Evans because, uh, you know, Evans had that, uh, kind of cliffhanger. What am I going to say next? You have no idea. <laughs> and, uh, and it was kind of fun to listen to. You're like, wow, what, what is he going to say next? <laughs> it's just crazy, <laughs> right? Did I, did, was it the best thing that ever happened to me or the worst? It was both. You know, um, <laughs> and I just did that just to kind of prep, just to keep myself entertained. But I also thought it was kind of fun to find like a different rhythm and try to make those monologues uh, fun to listen to. You, you kind of write about, you know, acting and being in the moment um, in a pretty, I mean, you wrote the book now. So you've been doing how many years of Saul? How many seasons? Uh, well, I mean... It's like 13 years ago that I started playing that character. We've And now, by the way, we finished shooting the series a week ago today. So uh, how's it end? Uh, I can't tell you anything. Okay, okay, okay. Of course you can't. Here's what I'll tell you, Al. The two shows, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, have never been so intertwined. Oh, good. That's all I was I hoping that. I was hoping that. Because that it's bringing it up to date, right? That's the whole point. It's a backstory. Well, you can the way it works is basically those the writers have their choice of how much they want to tie these two shows together and in the last season I was very surprised at how they dug in on that and they really bound them together. And it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. 
Well, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, obviously, because... Yeah, I think w- when you watch the last season of, of Saul, if you watch it, and I hope you will, uh, you'll probably want to watch Breaking Bad after, as soon as it's done. Well, that's exciting. I've been waiting. Yeah. <laughs> well, COVID held us up, and then I had a heart attack, and that took me up for five weeks. Oh, well, uh, so let's talk about the heart attack just a little bit. Yeah. So you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> Wait, Alec goes like this. It goes, you're fine. You're fine. You're dead. <laughs> <laughs> then, you're, then you're fine again. <laughs> Yeah, you were your kind of heart stopped or something, right? Um, well, look, uh, <laughs> yes, I had a full-on heart attack. I was very lucky because we were in the studio and we had walked to the far side of the studio. It was COVID, so COVID protocols kept everyone far from each other, which um, might have been dangerous, but it would have been far more dangerous if we'd been on location or if I'd gone to my trailer. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be talking to you. Um, there'd be no season because I would have died. So I had a heart attack, but Ray Seahorn and, and Patrick Fabian were right there um, at their you know, spots nearby. Um, and they saw me go down. They ran right over to me. They started yelling because Ray said I turned blue right away. Like, like within seconds, I was turning blue and gray. They started Dude. screaming. People were very far away because it's a huge modern studio. And they actually thought people were laughing or they couldn't tell what was ye- what the yelling was, but I think it was pretty intense. And then some, uh, the medic came over and I'll just say it was his first day as a medic and he lost his shit a little bit. His jaw dropped and he kind of froze. Ray and Patrick continued to yell and, slap me and shit and uh and eventually some of the crew wandered over not too long and they went and got rosa estrada and angie meyer who was the ad and rosa estrada was a medic she'd served a tour with the army and she ran out from her office and started cpr total pro crazy pro did it just right she's done it before and she also had an aed in her car so Angie Meyer took over while she ran to her car after about 10 minutes and got the AED. What's an AED? An AED is a defibrillator that you can, you know, it's like a simple one that you can keep in your car. You can have it at your house. They have them. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have one. Do you? No. Well, a lot of people didn't know what it was. It's really easy to use and uh, it's a defibrillator. (laughs) Okay. Okay. By the way. I was told later the safest place to have a heart attack is a casino or a, a airport because they have AEDs everywhere. <laughs> anyway, okay. so plan your next heart attack Good to for know. Morongo Casino. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, she jacked me up. It took me three shots to come back to a steady rhythm, which is a lot. Um, and And if anything was – the most scary point, it was uh, after the second um, defibrillation that didn't work. Uh, people were um, mm. and people were pretty sure it was over. So luckily, the third one worked. And uh, the next morning, I had this uh, surgery through my wrist to put in two stents. So, you know, that's it. And you're good. I am. Now, who, who told you? Did anybody, any of your friends ever tell you? That maybe they're 
working you too hard? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some friends did. <laughs> I think maybe you said something. Yeah, uh, and Robert. Robert, you know how showbiz works. They get the money. I know, but you were doing like what? 14 hour First days. First of all, you're 16 14 hour days and and you're the star of the there's no show if you say guys we're doing 12 hour days. Yeah. I know, I know. And you made this point to me and I thank you for it. I, you and Robert did me a great service by giving me the same lecture on two different phone calls with great emphasis and and gusto and certainty and it meant a lot to hear it. Uh, it helped me a lot because as I was coming back, I wasn't sure how to approach the job. And there was talk about, I was still in a pretty weakened state for a couple months, Al. I couldn't, I couldn't have done more than 12 hours. Thank God we um, landed on that and made it a, a you know, a, a sure thing. And, and And the rest of the crew just was so happy that you yeah, did that, right? They really were. They really were. They were all thankful that that there was a reason to call the day after 12 hours. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh oftentimes they had to continue with other actors and other scenes, but it, it did limit what the whole crew could do most days. And they were all very appreciative. You know, but this is how this business works. You know, you get the money for a movie or TV show, and then you get to the set, and then you just try to shoot until you're done. And whatever that means, you go as late as you can. And I know, but this system. is a series that you're the star of. Yeah. Well, you and Robert made the point to me when this 12-hour limit was in play, and I was like, I don't know. I don't want to hold up the show, and I don't want to – Limit people are willing to do 16 hours. I mean, they're willing to do anything. They're so happy to be in show business. <laughs> and you <laughs> said, uh, what the fuck is your problem? You fucking died. Take care of yourself. And uh, you you guys were right. I want to talk about Nobody. Yeah. Are you going to do the sequel? Oh, yeah, I want to. I mean, we're writing it right now. Um, uh, I say we. Nobody was the number one movie in the country for quite a while and it's great it's the number one streamer of the year it's so fabulous that movie <laughs> i mean it's so funny to go from sketch writer comedian i mean you know a sketch player to a bit you know a small part on larry sanders yeah uh, to <laughs> saul on breaking bad to uh having yeah. having a, the whole uh better call saul show yeah. built around you but then to be, I think I called you after I, I saw, I, I don't even think I had seen it yet. I saw the trailer, but I knew how successful it was already and said, you should just do a talk show and say you're only doing action movies. <laughs> it's so great. Al, thank you, man. Thank you. It was such a crazy dream to do it. It was like. Hey, everybody, everybody listens to this. Just screen, stream this thing and you'll thank me. And then listen to the podcast again. Man. Thank you. Um, let's see. Oh, Jeremy Irons. You got to tell us Jeremy Irons stories. He hosted the show. He's hosting the show and he's a great actor. He <laughs> SNL. Is. And I'm supposed to write the monologue with Rob Schneider, I believe. Yeah. And we have an idea and that's its own fight, me and Schneider. Um, but or anybody in Schneider, <laughs> and uh, 
I, I wrote uh, stuff with him where we had a great time. Yes, good. Um, <laughs> so we we write this monologue, and it's just about he's up for an Oscar, and it's just about the Oscar, and I can't remember what it is. It's just about the Oscar, and it's like smart smart aleck shit, and it's not there's not a lot to it. So we go down, we show it to him, he reads it. He's getting pressured. I mean, it's like I think it's Saturday, it might be Friday, but I think it's Saturday. He's got to do it mm-hmm. in just a few hours, and. Um, <laughs> He gets so mad at me, and I have a little recorder that I was using to record my ideas and stuff, and I press record as he starts to get mad at me. <laughs> and I recorded him yelling at me, and he <laughs> goes on this rant where he's like, I don't know. I don't know. What is it, Mr. Irons? Well, it's just that I mean I'm an actor I can dance, I can sing, <laughs> I can do gymnastics, I'm a juggler, I can do monologues, and you have me doing this? This is what you want me to do? He's so mad. And he's right, he's kind of right. He can do a lot of cool shit, and we have him making stupid wisecracks about wanting to win an Oscar or something. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, he was difficult. I mean, Downey had written a brilliant piece with him and, and, and Farley. He's a former, like, banker, like, enormously rich banker in from London who is disgraced. And he has to go, like, to Nebraska and manage a Burger King or something like that. <laughs> and, and he's, and he's, uh, interviewing farley for a job you know do you have a car can you you know but it's then you it's just a monologue of him saying what he used to be and just hating this oh (laughs) and he just goes to to jim like it's one joke isn't it it's just one joke oh one of the best sketches are one joke <laughs> I know. No, I, no this some, was a fucking brilliant sketch. Yeah, and it was Jim Down. I mean, I'm not saying yeah. Jim Jim wrote some speeches that died, but we all did. But this one was was hilarious. Wait, you have to tell me, Al. You have to tell the whole world about the Steven Seagal sketch, real quick, real quick. The last one, the one where he ends up by looking into camera and saying, "That's what you get for messing with Mother Nature." Or something. If anyone a- ever asked me who is the worst host ever, there's no question. Yeah. It's Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, he was so bad. This is a, f- I don't know if you know this story. So then, like two weeks later, we had Nicolas Cage and he's, uh, had done this movie, Moonstruck, I think, with Cher. Yeah. And his monologue, he starts just talking about how great it was working with Cher. And he just talks about her body parts and stuff. And Davey Wilson, you know, over the thing goes, um, you know, Nick, could you, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. come, uh, Lauren wants to talk to you. And he goes, Lauren goes like, why are you talking about her? Well, they're just so great. He goes, well, you know, you're, uh, Sophia Coppola's cousin. What if someone talked about, uh, you know, her like that? And he goes, oh, God, you're right. Oh, and he does that kind of thing. 
And and then he goes, you must think I'm the worst host that ever hosted this show. And Lauren just goes, no, that would be Steven Seagal. <laughs> and, and then and then about two weeks later, I'm on the Tonight Show. Jay's hosting. And it's like me and uh, the Ramones. And I'm going, that's not a Tonight Show. And when I get there, it's Seagal is the big guest. And then so I I'm the second guest. I get there on the chair. And during a break after my first segment, he leans over to me and goes like, why did Lauren say that about me? Oh, jeez. And I kind of freeze. I don't know what to say. And and Jay just leans over and goes, oh, you know, the joke is that, uh, you know, you're the, you're this, yeah, you're such a big star. And, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't make any sense not to make fun of a big, you know, it has to be the biggest star ever. Oh my God. And also, you're so tough. I mean, you do these action movies. So oh that's the funny God. thing too. And Seagal's going, Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Jay is great right there. He's a hero. Oh my God. He saved my Perfect. ass. Perfect. Really well done. And, and then right after that, and then he's going, oh, all right. Okay, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one, man. I love that Leno's the hero. Oh, he was the hero. Yeah, he I'm just it. going like. That's a, brilliant. Uh, okay. I want to ask you about when you were in The Post yeah. with David. Yeah. And Spielberg's uh, directing his movie. Yeah. And you and David Cross are in it and who are, you know. The co-stars and writers, yeah. et cetera, of a cult yeah. thing that Spielberg doesn't know. And yeah. so, <laughs> and you don't tell him, right? No, because we, no, it, it we don't. Because you want to be in the Spielberg movie and he might yeah. freak out. Yeah. So then, but about two thirds of the way through the movie, someone goes like, wow, it's Bob and Dave. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And he figures it out and he goes, and he says, do I have a problem? <laughs> yeah. That's right. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, we were, not only were we in it together, but he kept putting us next to each other. And, we, <laughs> and, 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 and so- He had a wig. David had a wig. Yeah, but we, we looked at each other and we would, every time he would go, um, you, uh, David, go stand there, Bob. Go, go stand there. <laughs> you guys were walking through. Bob, go, go walk next to David. And we'd be like, all right, I think he's a fan of the show. I think he just wants a Mr. Show reunion in his movie. Okay, well, I don't want to say it, but that seems like what's happening. So then Zach Penn was there, and he's a screenwriter who loves Mr. Show and friends of ours, and he had written Ready Player One, and they were working on it at the time as well as Spielberg doing the post at the same time. And Zach was the one who, behind the camera, Spielberg once again puts us together. And he, you said we were two thirds. We were about, we had finished almost all of the major group <laughs> scenes. We had, we were done. We had one, maybe one more scene. And he does this thing again where he goes, David, go stand uh, closer to Bob. <laughs> and Zach out loud goes, Oh my God, Bob and David. And that's when what you just said happens. Spielberg goes, what are you talking about? And he goes, they had a show, HBO, Bob and David, Mr. Show. They were on the show. For, it's the greatest. It's a funny sketch show. And then Spielberg goes, oh, do I have a problem? <laughs> <laughs> like, and then Zach said, I immediately told him, no, no, don't worry. It's a cult hit. Nobody knows it. <laughs> <laughs> we got to go. But uh, I want to thank you for all your help when I was running. Uh, oh, for the Senate, yeah. 
Well, I got to thank you for all your help. And I think I mentioned in the book that you helped me. And I, I mean it, Al. And uh, so thank you for everything and your support all these years. And congratulations, Jesus Christ. Look at your career. It's fab. I mean, and boy, did you earn it. If you'll see in the book, if you're going through periods, like really long periods where nothing works, nothing happens. So I'm so happy for you. And I'm looking forward to the next nobody. Thanks, man. And I'm looking forward to this season of Saul. Oh, I can't wait for people to see it, Al. It's going to be great. I really loved what they wrote. It was so good. I can't wait. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.